I'm going to be preaching tonight out of John chapter 6. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time in the book of John lately, and the Lord just made a message come to life to me a few weeks ago. So I'm excited to bring what the Lord has given me. And the title of this sermon... <laughs> I've drawn a blank. It's the audacity of the crowd. The audacity of the crowd. It'll make sense the more we go in, but let's jump in to John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So let's just stop right there. Go back and read John chapter 5 to see what these other things were. But just to give you a brief synopsis, um, Jesus healed uh, a lame man at Bethesda. And uh, it was on a Sabbath. And Jesus said, rise up, take up your mat, go home. And then there were Pharisees, religious leaders there that were irate because their interpretation of you shall not work on the Sabbath included included picking up a mat. They considered that working, so they interpreted it that way. And they had hundreds of interpretations that weren't scriptural, but it, it was the law and it was oppressive. So Jesus, during that time, that he preached, and a lot of it was directed towards the Pharisees. But at the very end of it, he spoke about him being the fulfillment of the Father's plan. Him being the fulfillment of prophecies of a prophet that Moses had prophesied. So we get to to chapter 6. It says, After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii where the bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. Groups of between 50 and 100, most likely 50 men and their families. When it talks about the feeding of the 5,000, it's the feeding of 5,000 men. And so when he had them sit down in groups of 50, as we see in the other gospel accounts, one gospel says 50 to 100. So it was 50, it was 50 men and then their wives and their children. So have them sit down. So the men sat down in number of about 5,000. The estimate, uh, of what most believe were there was somewhere between clearly 5,000 and 12,000, probably closer to the 12,000 range. Have the people sit down. Sometimes when we spend time in the Word and we get to the exciting things, I mean, Jesus is about to to perform a miracle. But sometimes in His Word, we, we miss really key, really important things by just kind of jumping ahead to the real juicy part to the real exciting parts. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Why? Is it because he's a God of order? I believe so. I believe that's part of the reason. 
He is a God of order and, and He's a God of measurable results. He cares when, when thousands are fed. He cares when thousands are saved. No one can say God doesn't care about numbers because the Word of God says that He desires that not one person would perish. So God cares about numbers. So He has them sit down in groups. Why? So there can be order. So hey, 50 men and their families. So we can kind of get an idea of what's there. So yeah, that's one reason. But I believe this also. He had them sit down because it wasn't just food he wanted to give them, but rest. He wanted them to see when it comes to my blessing, when it comes to my provision, you don't work for it. You rest for it. You sit and I provide it. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks. Let me stop right there. Apart from the resurrection, this is the only other miracle that is listed in all four Gospels of the Bible. In your study time, and I've challenged this at our last elders meeting to the pastors. The six of us were together and I said, next time we come together, I want us to have an answer. Why we think God put this, I mean, in all four Gospels, outside of the resurrection, this is the only other miracle that's listed in all four. The three other Gospels it, it describe this this way, that, that Jesus looked to heaven and then blessed the bread. But John says Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. Either way, there's a formula here that I think we can see blessing in. Number one, looking to heaven. Number two, giving thanks. And number three, speaking blessing. We look to heaven and we give thanks and we speak blessing. When Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Two interesting things. Number one, he distributed to those who were what? Seated. I We don't know. I hope there are people that are like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good standing. And I hope they didn't get any. I do. When Jesus says sit, you sit. When Jesus says you go, you go. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be mean. When Jesus speaks in our lives, we obey. Jesus said, speak, or seat, you know, be seated, have a seat, be at rest. And it says, those who were seated were distributed to. The second thing I want you to pay attention to, it's, it's what isn't said here. What Jesus didn't do. He didn't ask the Father to multiply anything. He didn't ask the Father to provide bread and fish for all these people. As a matter of fact, he didn't ask the Father anything. He looked to the Father and he gave thanks and he spoke blessing. When we truly know the heart of the Father and we know who he is, it makes it so easy to look to him and give thanks and to go, my dad cares for my needs. Now, he, now, that doesn't mean that we're not to ask. I ask 
the Father all the time. We're to know the Father. We're to know his heart. I just find it really cool that Jesus knew him so well that he didn't even have to ask the Father. He knew what the Father would do. He'd already seen the Father doing it. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. They were given until they had their fill. They ate until they were full, until they had gotten as much as they wanted. Likewise, also of the fish. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. That speaks of our God also. I said it earlier, he desires that not one person would be lost. Here we're seeing him responsible even with food. Gather up the food so that it's not lost as well. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. So we have 12 baskets full of leftover barley loaves. I imagine that we didn't have any leftover baskets of fish because that just would have been gross. I don't know. They didn't have Tupperware back then. I mean, I, I don't know. But we know that there were 12 baskets full of bread left over, which is interesting because you have 12 disciples. 12 leftover baskets of bread. And, and I'm going to get to something in a minute. A little teaser. We'll, we'll kind of leave it right there. Do you think that the lad, the boy, who had the five loaves and the two fishes, do you think when he followed Jesus that day that he was aware that he had $15,000 worth of food packed in his days worth of food? Do you think he had any idea of what he had there? The worth of it. What the worth became when he made it available for Jesus to use. When he made it available for Jesus to use, the value exceeded what the sum of those parts were. Friends, what do you and I make available for Jesus to use? What are we willing to say? It's not much, Lord. But use it. How many of us are willing to say, Lord, it's not much. But use it. Whatever we make available to the Lord, He will use. Whatever we freely give to the Lord and say use, he will use. And the result is multiplication. He will take however small we look at ourselves and say, Lord, I can only do this much. I'm only this much of a man. He'll say, no. When you make yourself available to me, it's endless what I can do. That boy showed up on the scene with fish and loaves, enough for a meal, maybe a day's worth of food. And what God turned it into was enough to feed an all-you-can-eat buffet of barley bread and fish to, to 10 to 12,000 people. 
Verse 14. Actually, I'm going to back up. I have a hard time believing that the 12 disciples who knew Jesus' schedule, they knew his agenda, they knew what they looked like for him. I have a very hard time believing that the 12 of them had no food among them. I have a very hard time believing that not one of them had a Ziploc snack pack of figs or a handful of nuts. Granola bar. Something. In the other accounts of the Gospels, you heard the disciples tell Jesus, send this crowd away. Because this is rough terrain. This is a rough area. And it's getting dark. And we have nothing to feed them with. And they have no place to lay their head. The the disciples, full of faith, followers of Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, send them away so that they have something to eat. Lord, send them away so that there's a place for them to stay. Friends, I, I want us to learn from the example of the disciples. We should care more about the expectation of what God will do than circumstances around us. You know, we were talking last week, I was talking with Andy and I was talking with Brad and we were talking about how late the service went last week. Friends, I grew up sleeping on pews. I grew up sleeping on pews. When it was when I was falling asleep, mom would go, just go to sleep, son. Night night. Holy Spirit's still moving. Good night. Here's a Bible for a pillar. Hey, let's uh, let's end the service. Let's end the service. Uh, it's getting late. People are hungry. Kids are cranky. Kids need their sleep. Otherwise, tomorrow they'll be cranky. Therefore, a, a parents will be bothered tomorrow by the cranky kids. So let's go ahead and cut it off. Holy Spirit, uh, thank you for showing up, but you're done. Friends, that's what we do. We care more about our comfort level than we do about the Holy Spirit having His way. We care more about being seeker-sensitive and, and saying, oh no, we've we got to cut the service off at a certain time. Otherwise, the guests will never come back. No! You show the power of God in people's lives and you trust Him for the, res- for the results. Ain't no way 12 disciples had nothing. But yet one of them's like, uh, Lord, this boy, this boy has food. Oh, I see that granola bar. You're hiding the Snickers. I see it. I see at least three miracles in John chapter 6. Let me read verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Miracle number one, the feeding of the 5,000 more like the feeding of the 12,000. Did this crowd earn this miracle from God? No, in fact, Jesus said, sit down. I think to drive home this point that it's not about you, it's not about what you earn. Did the crowd even ask for it? The disciples were whiny about it. Lord, send them away. But did the crowd, do we see that the crowd asked, Lord, feed us? 
No. But did God feed them? Yes. That's not a trick question. We just read it. You just saw He fed them. Did He feed them? Yes. Why? Because He loves us. Because He cares about us. Because He wants us fed. He wants us strong. And He wants a captive audience so we can see and experience His goodness. Check this out. So this is Mark chapter 6. This is another account, a gospel account of this. So Jesus just got done feeding the 5,000. Then it says in verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethesda. Jesus made them immediately while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. After bidding them farewell, how long do you think it took? How long do you think it takes to bid twelve thousand people farewell? To shake hands, to hugs, to rub a kid's head, farewell. It takes me about an hour for less than a hundred. To hug, to, to bid farewell. You know, hey, good to see you. Hey, oh, thanks. How long does it take for Jesus, who just performed this miracle, who they saw in John chapter 5, or at least heard of him healing the layman? How long do you think that farewell was? Don't you think it would have been a whole lot easier? If Jesus would have told the 12 disciples, hey, you represent me. I need you. We've got a lot of people to love on before we leave. I need you to represent me. We, I need you to help me bid these people farewell. You think it would have been a whole lot quicker bidding 12,000 people farewell if the 12 disciples would have been apart? Absolutely it would have. So why didn't Jesus do that? And why did he immediately send them away? Look at verse 52, just a few verses later says, and he's talking about the disciples, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. That is amazing to me. Lord, you better send these people away. It's a desolate place and they're going to need food. And we don't got enough money to buy these people a happy meal. Lord, send these people away. The last message I preached, we talked about the Gentile woman who came to Jesus. And the, and the disciples once again were like, Lord, can you quiet her? She's annoying. It's really encouraging for me because I, I don't think I'm as dense as the disciples were at this point. At this point in my life, I think I, praise God, I don't think I'm that immature. But it goes to show as leaders, we can always learn. We can always grow. We can always be teachable. And at certain points, we're always dense. Jesus sent them away because their hearts were hardened. And friends, I tell you this. If you want to be used in representing Jesus Christ, He has no use for you. If your hearts are hardened and you don't represent His love and you don't represent His grace and you don't represent His freedom and you don't represent His patience. It took patience to bid farewell to 12,000 people. And when He was done, He went away to pray. 
probably to pray for his disciples. Father! Once again, he didn't ask the Father. He just... Do we want to be used by the Lord in representing him? I believe the disciples could have been used to represent him. I believe they could have been used, but he sent them away. I just, guys, go. Go. Lord, what about you? We only have one boat. Just go. I'll take care of it. Go. Lord, send these people away because it's a desolate place and they'll soon need a place to sleep and eat. Translation. Jesus, I'm tired and this place sucks. And I just want to grab a warm meal and go to bed. Jesus, I'm frustrated, I'm tired, and service has gone too long. And I no longer want what you want. I just want to eat a good meal. Watch some mindless television and call it a night. You think the disciples cared about the 12,000 people eating? Not a single granola bar among them? I mean, there's no way. God will use whatever we make available to Him use, and God will use whatever we choose to let Him transform on us so that we look like Him and sound like Him. If you consider yourself small and say, Lord, this is all I have, what a great place to be in. It's that boy going, I have something. How did the disciples know that this boy had something to make available. It was most likely not served on a tray. It was most likely in a bag. How did the disciples know? How did Simon know? The boy was like, Jesus, I have this. Do we do the same with offering our lives to him? Jesus, I have this. Jesus, I'm broken, but I have this. Jesus, I'm tired, but I have this. Jesus, I'm uncertain, but I have this. Verse 16. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting in a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them because he was up praying after bidding farewell. I want to start doing that. Farewell. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near. Drawing near to the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the lands to which they were going. It's interesting if you read Mark's account, the same account we just read about that Jesus immediately sent them away. And that when Jesus starts walking on the water, it says he planned to go past them. But seeing that they were afraid, he said, it is I, do not be afraid. So I want us to think about something, because Jesus is completely God and completely man, right? He's both. He's the son of man. That's the term he used for himself, because he was completely God, completely man. It says here he walked three and a half, four miles to get to them. And his intention, according to Mark, was to keep going. How stinking cool to 
would you find it walking on water? And apparently not just walking, but speed walking. Because there's no way that a man's normal pace is quicker than a boat. So like speed walking. Anyone seen The Incredibles? And like when, you know, Dash is like, boom, you know, like just running on the water. That must have been what Jesus was doing or something close to it. But he was enjoying it enough. He's like, I don't need the boat. I'm, I'm going to go. I know where I'm going. I'm going to land. That's pretty cool. Read, read. This is awesome, you guys. Read all four gospel accounts. It's really cool. But they were frightened and he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Miracle number two. Jesus walks on the Sea of Galilee. He walks on water. His disciples see him. They're terrified. And I know I'm taking some liberties here. I, I am. At least a little they were terrified because they had been such butts over on land when Jesus sent them away. At least a little. Why were they terrified? Why were they terrified? According to Mark, it says they thought they saw a ghost. What is more likely? That they saw a ghost or that they saw the king of kings who they had just seen heal a lame man. They had just seen multiply fish and loaves to feed 12,000 people. What's more likely? That they're seeing a ghost or that it's Jesus walking on water? Miracle number two, Jesus walks on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. Miracle number three was that Jesus didn't get up in that boat and throw him off the boat. To me, that's miracle number three. It says they were willing to enter him into the, into, uh, into the boat. You think? You think? That's ridiculous. Back to Jesus. When we face fearful things in our lives, do we look to Jesus with the expectation of those same words? Do not be afraid, it's me. When we have things in our lives that are terrifying and we don't know how they're going to be resolved and we don't know what the outcome is going to be and we just know it's beyond us and we just know it's bigger than us, do we look to Jesus expectant to hear the same words, willing to hear the words, it's okay. It's me. Don't be afraid. Do we know the bigness of who our God is? Do we know the bigness of his heart? Do we make decisions based on the fact that I know his heart, I know his love for me, and I believe he's saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. The disciples, even though they got in the boat ahead of Jesus, even though they knew there was no other boat for him to come across, even though he said that we're heading to the other side, they still did not expect Jesus to come to him, to them. They did not expect Jesus to come to them. What about us? Do we expect Jesus to come to us? 
Faith is a mindset that expects God to act. Faith expects God to act because we know who He is. Not we expect God to act out of some sort of entitlement because we deserve it or because we've earned it. No, that's not it. Faith expects God to act because of belief. Out of faith, we believe who Jesus is, so we expect Him to act. Miracle number three, we just read it in verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. After receiving Jesus into the boat, they are immediately transported to land. I don't know why John is the only one who, who makes record of this. This transportation. But friends, that is a miracle. These three miracles, as amazing as they are, are not the most amazing thing that I read in John chapter 6. The audacity of the crowd is the most amazing thing I read in this chapter. Verse 22, The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples onto the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? What a great question that he does not answer. Uh, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered them. He didn't answer that question, but he did answer them. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Verse 28, Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Fantastic question. Great question. What should we do that we may work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Great question. What, okay, what should we do to work your works? Believe. Have a seat. Rest. And believe. Earlier Jesus had the crowd sit, right? He gave to those who were seated. He fed those who were seated as much as they wanted. Now he shows them that to receive the blessings and the works of God, that once again, you believe. It's not about you earning it. It's not about us earning it. It's not about works, but faith. We don't work for or earn God's blessings. 
We receive them in faith because God is good and only good. And what he has for us is good. Read verse 28 again. They said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Great question, right? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they, the crowd, said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Horrible question. And what audacity. What audacity. Jesus, what you've done for me isn't enough. You haven't earned my trust. You haven't earned my loyalty. What's the next thing you will do so that I will believe? What's the next thing you will do so that I will follow you? What sign do you give me? What work do you do? The audacity of this crowd that has followed Jesus, that has seen the miracles, is absolutely appalling. Jesus has demonstrated his power through healing a lame man and then speaking just irreverently to the Pharisees, not fearing his own life, but being obedient to the Father. Then the crowd sees him, follows him, to remote places, to desolate places, where he feeds all of them to their to their full. Then they suspect he got from here to there some miraculous way. I imagine at this point the stories were already talking. He walked on water. He walked on water. He transported the boat. They were witness to these things, and yet they say, Lord. What will you do? What's another sign? A sign so we can see. A sign so we can believe. A tougher question. What about our audacity? What about our audacity? Last week, we saw some pretty cool stuff. I saw the Lord give personalized words to people that had to do with their personalities, that had to do with their past. I saw the Lord heal. I saw the Lord speak. I saw the Lord do amazing things. I knew things about people's lives and to hear personalized little things. that I'm like, only God knows that person needed to hear that. I saw the Lord move in power. We all saw it. We saw friends. Maybe we didn't get ministered to specifically to ourselves. I I didn't get a word. I didn't receive a healing. But I did receive a word because my brothers and sisters received words. I did receive healing because I'm part of this body. And I saw people healed. We saw the power of God. So what about when the waves get rough? What about when the winds pick up a little? Are we going to be crying out once again, Lord, prove yourself to me. Prove that you love me. Yeah, I know you did that and that and that, but that's not good enough for me. That's what the crowd was saying. It's not good enough for me. I need another sign. Friends, what do we do? 
when the newness of these experiences wear off, if you will. We believe, friends. Church, I I challenge us to be firm in our faith, to believe who He is, to stand strong on that belief. We know who He is. We know His heart. We've seen His power, and we're not done seeing His power. But when we have the rough stretches, when the waves get big, and we're afraid, look to Him who's saying, it is I, fear not. And settle in your hearts, I know who He is. I don't understand these circumstances, but He is enough, and I trust Him. Let's not be like that audacious crowd. And honestly, I think the disciples were pretty ding audacious as well. Next week, I'm going to give them a break. I'll say something positive about them next week. But for this stretch, man, we're rockheads. But I think people can look at me at times and go, what a rockhead. How can he not, how can he not respond in faith when he knows who God is? How can he sit there and hold his head low right now? just because he's going through a tough stretch. He knows who God is. He's experienced the goodness of God time and time again. Friends, we have moments of weakness because we're human. We have moments moments of weakness because we're flesh. But how quick do we bounce back and go, no, no, I will not hang my head. I will trust my God. I know who he is. He is my, my deliverer, my savior, my healer. He speaks to me. He has personal, intimate things for me. I will not be in this this mud puddle and wallow. I will not stay in this place of self-pity and wallow, but I will look to Jesus. That is not a ghost. That is Jesus. That's a difficulty, but Jesus is there in the midst of it. I see the difficulty, but I see Jesus more. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Do we seek and believe Jesus Christ, who is the only way to be satisfied? He's the only way to be satisfied. He's the only way to have our thirst quenched. He's the only way to be full and not feel sick. I was full yesterday. I was full twice yesterday. I had two Thanksgivings, or the day before yesterday. With Kara's family and then with my family. And I was full, and I felt sick at the end. Because I ate all I wanted. How awesome is it, though, when we have our fill of Jesus, we never have that feeling. We never have that need to slumber. In fact, we want to get out and do something. We want to get out and let the world know how good he is. You guys, do we seek Jesus or do we seek what his powerful gifts have to offer? Do we seek Jesus or do we seek what he can do for us? It's okay. It's okay to desire his power. It's okay. But do we seek Jesus or do we seek what he can do for us? You guys, there's a lot of churches out there, and we're not one of them, that they are all about seeking the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do for them and what the next sign is and what the next wonder is and what the next thing is, and that is not us. We seek Jesus. 
and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth of Jesus is. Jesus did nothing except what he heard the Father say. Jesus lived his life to glorify the Father. It's this beautiful unity. But we don't seek God for what he can do for us. It's a perverse and sick generation that seeks a sign. I seek Jesus because I know who he is. I seek Jesus because he is good and only good. I seek Jesus because of his love and his grace for me. And selfishly, I seek Jesus because how I feel when I'm with him. Wonderful, amazing, accepted, strong, complete, full. But friends, we, we don't seek him for what he can do for us. We don't seek him for the next free meal. We don't seek him for the next whatever. We seek him because he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the way, the truth, and the life that there is no other way to the Father except through him. That's why we seek him. Do we trust him? Do I trust him? Ask yourself that. Do I trust him? Do I trust his timing? Which is so inconvenient most of the time. Do I trust his timing? Do I trust his deliverable? Do I trust his heart? Do I trust him? That's what belief is. It's going, I don't know how this is going to end. I'm totally beside myself because I love being in control and I'm not in control of this. But I trust him. And I don't know how it's going to end, but I trust him that he is good and only good. What part of our lives have we made available for God to use? All of it? The leftovers? The parts we're proud of? The parts we're ashamed of? What parts of our lives do we make available to Him? And say, Lord, use it. Use it all. You are big and I am small. And I can't wait to see how you're going to multiply. Use it all. Lord, I'm uneducated. Use it. Lord, I'm stubborn. Use it. Lord, I'm inexperienced. Use it. Lord, I'm young. Use it. Lord, I'm old. Use it. Lord, I'm scared. Use it. I love, it's not a biblical Christmas song, but I love it nonetheless. The little drummer boy. That was his mentality. I can play for you. I can play for the newborn child. I just that always touched my heart. It shows, Lord, I don't have much, but what I have is yours. What I have is yours. Use it. I make it available to you. Friends, and you are friends. Family, and you are family. Church, and you are the church. Let's not be that audacious crowd. Let's not live our lives in audacity. Telling God, what you've done for me is not enough. Prove yourself to me once again. Let's remember who he is. Let's not just remember who he is. Let's tell everybody who he is. Let's tell everybody, you would not believe what the Lord did for me last week. I was at church and this happened. Oh, you know what? Maybe you didn't get that thing. Let me tell you what the Lord did for my friend Jeremy. He was standing up there. A guy he'd never met before. And God just was speaking to him and saying things about him that resonated with the deepest parts of him. And then he said, your shoulder. And pointed to his right shoulder and said, said your shoulder is being healed right now. Do you have problems? And he said, yes. He goes, do something you couldn't do. And so he did this and God healed him. That was my friend. And I sat there and I saw it. 
God is good. God is awesome. Are you, are you hurting anywhere? I want to pray for you. Let's remember the power and the provision of God. Even when we're hungry, even when there doesn't seem to be much on that plate, let's remember the power and the provision of God. And let's remember His heart and His goodness. And let's let our lives demonstrate our belief. Talk is cheap, friends. Let our lives demonstrate that we believe in our awesome God. Let's pray.